You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I want to talk about uh, death into life, about letting go. It's hard to let go. It's hard to move into what's next. This journey of moving on from where we were is like death into life. Dying to the old, living in the new. I mean, the story of our faith, you might say the story of Christianity, is very much about death leading to new life, death leading to resurrection. That's also the story of creation, too. It's the story of our church as well. We let things die, and then they give us new life. And our resurrection in Jesus is a lot like that, too. We need to let go of the past to grow, to suffer necessary losses to grow. My brother uh, Ben was just a few weeks ago was talking about necessary losses here and we were inspiring each other to keep talking about it. I recently suffered a loss that I want to tell you about. A big shift from my youthful energy and youthful agility, moving to a more grounded and stable life. This shift was a sort of symbol of my coming of age, from a spirited 20-something to a more conscious of his limits, 30-somethings. The only thing you learn in your 30s is how limited you are, right? And hopefully how to accept criticism. Those are two, those are two big accomplishments. I had to, I had to let go of the, uh, the energy and, and, and fun and almost invincibility of my 20-somethings. 20, it was that decade there. That decade when you ride your bike without a helmet. Because what could go wrong? Some of you do that now, I think. And do people still do that? People do it. Okay, so right. seems risky. That's in your in your thirties, you're always assessing risk and being cautious about things. So I had to let go of this energy, this fun, this invincibility, and move into my fullness, into my true self, as it were, into my truer self, you might say. The end of an era. The end of something I cherished. I moved away from that life into a mysterious new one. Not sure what it would hold. Not even sure of all the losses I would endure on that journey. And that journey happened at a Volkswagen dealership. <laughs> I traded my the, the red GTI <laughs> for the boring gray Passat. I've only ever driven GTIs before this. There's cursing up here, okay, so don't read the comments. <laughs> Brian's wrote, where are you, Brian? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, it was a, a profane occasion. I've only driven GTIs before this. I had, I had uh, two others before this red one, and I thought I'd never not drive them. I always thought this is what I'm going to do. All of them were standard transmission. The last one I bought, I bought the summer before I got married. 
two. That was, it meant something to me. It was my last bachelor car, symbol of my former life. Man, I loved that hot hatch. Fast, <laughs> agile, red. I, I'm, this, is, this is completely sincere. And this model was released earlier in Europe, and I remember my freshman year of college, I went to Europe for, uh, I, was, I was on a parliamentary debate team. <laughs> really had a really fun time in college. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, yeah. And I found the VW dealership in like Stockholm, I think, and I test drove that car. And one day it was mine. And I, I miss that car, I miss it a lot. And the Passat I bought is nice. It's roomy, it's luxurious. I can make phone calls in the car. I talk like the whole, my windows are down in the summer and I'm yelling on the phone and everyone on the you know, broad street hears me. There's no private conversations with me. So don't call me in the car. <laughs> now you know. It's easy to get the girls in and out because it's a four door. This is the first four door car I've had. It's the first trunk I've had too. Like, you can put things in your trunk and hide them. This is a new, it was a real big uh, innovation in my life. I can never, it's less flashy, a little mundane. I can never find it in a parking lot. Every car is gray. In the suburbs, every car is gray for some reason. Like, if it's stuck in a, the red car, you can see. This one, is that my car? Is that my car? I'm open. Nope. Not good. Suspension's a little gummier, too. Not as fun. A lot of body roll. It's also an automatic, which is very boring. And I need, I need to stay engaged in my driving because I get distracted. So it's good if both my hands are in use. It's, it's really like the perfect representation of my life in, the, in my 20s into my 30s, it feels like. And maybe, and maybe, and maybe during my midlife, I'll get another stick shift hatchback if we still have cars. Which, you know, that'd be, that'd be good, right? We got rid of cars. But as long as we have them, I want a fast one. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm okay. I'm, I'm learning to be okay with this loss. As, and I'm, I'm suffering it with you. This is, this is, this is only kind of in jest. Um, it's half serious. But it's a symbol for me of moving into new things. Letting go of what was. And there's, there's still pain in our losses and transitions. I still see guys in their GTIs, and I try to say hello, like, <laughs> we're friends, you know? But they just look at me in the facade, and they know, no, you're not <laughs> like me. And so there's some loss there, and some of you know that that's just part of growing up. It's part of your process as a Christian, too. And you know what? As, 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 as funny as this is, loss is real. And, and um, as I'm wondering who I'm going to be, how I'm going to grow, I know Jesus, Jesus feels loss too. And he felt his own loss. And part, part of the beauty of what we call the incarnation, Jesus becoming human, is this humanity. And for our purposes today, the necessary loss that Jesus endures too. Even as I uh, reflect on Jesus' loss in his 33rd year, as it were, I'm entering my own 33rd year. I don't feel so alone where I'm going and who I am.
because Jesus is with me. And I hope also that I don't feel alone because you're with me too. Right? We're, a, we're a community. We're connected to each other. In his own moment of a necessary loss, in his own life, literally, Jesus alone by himself. So if you feel alone, Jesus was too. And there's more, there's more intimacy to be had with you and Jesus in that shared experience. Here's Jesus in his final moments before arrest, contemplating all the losses he will endure. Someone read these seven, uh, seven verses. This is out of uh, um, Luke 22. This is David Bentley Hart's translation. Someone out loud read this. And going out, he went out off of all, as was his habit. His disciples followed him too. And coming to the place, he said to them, Pray that you do not enter into trial. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away. And kneeling down, he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Yet, How do you think Jesus feels in that moment? Thanks, Corinne. The writer of this gospel isn't clear about what the cost of death will be for Jesus other than his life. There's something else that he might be losing. What are those things that he's losing? What do you lose in this moment? You know, of course, you'd have to wonder, what would his life be after this? What would his life be like after this? It's okay to put yourself right in the story. Imagine what you might lose, too. He's telling his disciples to pray to keep themselves from falling into trial. Going to the trial. Of course, Jesus is about to be arrested, so we have this figurative idea that's connected to the reality of his circumstance. But some translations will say fall into temptation, right? You've seen this, too. Uh, this word, pyrosmos, this temptation trial. What does it mean? Going, going through this thing, going through this trial, going through this temptation will show you who you are, will show you who you really are, who you want to be, how you want to be. Falling into temptation is what Jesus is warning his disciples against, not being tempted. When you're tempted, when you face your necessary loss, who you will be after that is what we're talking about. Let go of what you need to let go of and move into what's next. Jesus himself, right here, is praying so that he doesn't fall into trial, fall into temptation. What's he thinking of? This is time for you to just imagine. Some of us think he's thinking of a life with wife and kids. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a song a band in our community wrote about that, right? Moving into a new life. 
you know, it might be nice to have some uh, a family, a nuclear family. One commentator thought the temptation is his refusal to submit to the state's violence here as they come and arrest him, and he was ready to collect his comrades, take up arms against the Romans. That the, that the, that the temptation is not fighting back when they come to arrest me. What am I going to do? Well, let's go. There's 12 of us here, just you know, 30 of them or so. This is, this is when the revolution starts right here. And one of, you, one of you has a sword, right? There's probably a few daggers in the mix. We could scrap for a while. Back then, the conflict was a little more even-sided. You know. Now we have way less than they have. I think that's a real temptation. That's possible. We're imagining, right? Jesus knows that the God's path for him is to let go of the possibility of like a family, for example, in Jerusalem or or a violent revolution, that something else is happening. What's happening? That through his life and through perhaps the consequence of following God in the world, also through his death, he might save humanity, moving us all, all, all of us toward our necessary losses. I want to caution making this relationship too transactional like death equals life. Some theologians call this uh, atonement, and it can be a little bit formulaic that Jesus' death was sanctioned by God in order to save humanity. And I think that idea is in the Bible, but it's not the only one. Some of us think that Jesus enters into death in order to defeat it and find victory over it conquering it once and for all. That his, that, and also that his death, his entrance into death, is not inevitable. But it's a cosmic cost of humanity's fallenness. Death is now a fact of life. But ironically, a consequence of following God. Catch that? We all die because of the curse of sin. But when we try to defeat that curse, when we try to um, fight with Jesus for a new way, the consequence is also death. Troubling catch 22. But it's one that Jesus endured. Didn't he say, whoever, whoever tries to save their life will lose it? Following Jesus means you're losing your life. And I think we endure that too. Here's the turn. Unfortunately for us, suffering loss is inevitable. You can't not do it. I mean, you could try to be a 40-year-old in a 20-something's car, I guess. You could try that. But we'll just be able to tell you're not really over it. You can't not die. But you'll have to decide what you'll die for and who you will become after that. You can't not suffer loss. And so our lives are all about learning how to, how to lose and how to let go. I don't think that we will escape the pain of loss. It'll always hurt. There's no way around that. But we can grow through it. Here's how... Here's how, uh, here's how Paul 
says he's dying with Christ, yet living in him. Let me explain it like this. This is N.T. Wright. Through the, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live. I have been crucified with the Messiah. I am, however, alive, but it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I do still live in the flesh. I live with the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up on my behalf. That little bracketed part's a different translation, but I like that image. Someone, let's read this again. Echo it. Someone out loud. Let me explain it like this. To the law, Paul is saying, thanks Chuck, is that our old selves die and we find new selves in Jesus. We let go of what we need to let go of when we move into fullness with Christ. It's like that song that we just sang. Our sinful selves have died. With you, they were crucified and then in you we rise. Make sure you keep this a verb and don't make it into a, a, a contraction. Our sinful selves are dying in Christ, and we're rising into something new. I think practically speaking, that means letting go of what we need to let go of, right? The red hatchbacks of our lives and moving into the next thing, which I, unfortunately for me is a gray family sedan, but other things do. We all go through our necessary losses. And I've been thinking about mine more and more this season and we've seen some necessary losses as we've uh, been through quite a transition as a church and as a congregation. And I, I've shared my process with some of you before, so this might feel a little bit redundant. But I'm working with it. I'm, 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 I'm chewing it again. I'm, I'm processing it. I need to keep saying it. I need to keep working with it. So I want to share again with you, if that's okay. My losses aren't over. I'm still working them out. And, and a book that helps me that Ben also quoted a few weeks ago is... Uh, is Judith Bjorst's Necessary Losses. There's plenty we have to give up in order to grow, for we cannot deeply love anything without being vulnerable to loss. And we can't, and we cannot become separate people, responsible people, connected people, reflective people without losing and leaving and letting go. So this is what, this is, these are three of my losses that I'm giving you to, to, help, to, to process even in this moment, but to give you a chance to imagine where, what you need to let go of and where you need to grow, if that's okay. First one is the loss of my dad. Dad's not dead. I'm gonna, I, I will see him Thursday. That's Thanksgiving, in case you were curious. <laughs> but the man that I wish he was when I was younger is gone. And I'm, I, am, I have felt very disappointed by my and in becoming one, I can see how easy it is to disappoint your children. I wish he loved me in different ways. He affirmed me in different ways. He helped me overcome my tendency towards shame. I wish he gave me those tools. Dad wasn't very emotionally available or present. I missed a lot of affection 
as a child and as a teen, even as a young adult. I, I, I think he did his best to raise me. He gave me a lot of faith, gave me the foundation of what I have, taught me to work hard. I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I think I'm living proof that he had some success as a father, too. That doesn't change the pain or the loss that I've experienced as a result of him, though. And I'm, I'm, I'm still coming to terms with being okay naming them. But more than just enduring these losses, is, is accepting who dad was to me. Largely speaking, he was good enough. It wasn't everything I needed to be. And that childlike idealism is something I need to let go of, too. And I'm better for letting it go. It is hard for me to acknowledge that my dad it wasn't who I needed him to be. But holding on to the hope that he might miraculously change and fulfill the needs of, a, of an 11-year-old doesn't make a lot of sense either. He can't be who I wanted him to be then. I have to let go. It's okay to let go of the bad and receive the good. And even as I learn to be gracious with my dad, I can be gracious with myself as one. And, and as I learn to name those losses, that pain, I can hold on to uh, my, uh, my heavenly parent, one that uh, won't fail me and won't fail my earthly dad either. And then, there's, and then there's my friends. Did you ever lose a friend? Painful reality of being a, being a friend is the risk of losing one. And in our community, you know, you, you've lost some friends. I've recently gone through a series of losses that are painful. and Sometimes the loss just feels like a loss because I'm just so disappointed in who they are and who they're becoming. Did you ever see that? It hurts. It hurts when I'm one of their necessary losses. People have to let go of me, too. I wish it weren't so, and sometimes it, I, I feel like i do anything not to lose them. I'm not sure that's been healthy for me. Some people need to go. Some people don't, uh, don't tell you long before they leave. Tempting to hold on if we can change reality. Letting go is okay. But that doesn't stop the pain. There are people that I think of, I swear, I think of them every single day in my life that I haven't seen in years. And there are losses that stick with me. My loved ones know who they are. Partners in the church, people I've known my whole life in Philadelphia. People who are my intimates at one point. My anger and my sadness can, can get the best of me. And I can resent people that have left me and who have hurt me. I can blame them for my failures and my mistakes. But, it, but, but that isn't fruitful. It doesn't build up. It doesn't move me into the new life that Jesus has for me. It doesn't make me into who I'm becoming. And sometimes we necessarily lose friends, right? People move away. People move on. They break up. They mess up. They run away. They get divorced. You never hear from them again. 
it's still worth it for me. I'm still going to try. I'm still going to attach. I'm still going to build something new. It's still worth it to invest. I'm not going to cut off and be cold and live by myself. I'm still going to relate. I'm still going to try to love. It's still worth it to love, even though you might get hurt at the end of it. The pain and the suffering and the loss that follows is inevitable, but the joy and the hope and the little piece of heaven that I feel in those relationships is still worth the necessary risk, the necessary loss that might follow. And I have to pump myself up to say that. I have to, I have to energize myself. No, I'm going to keep relating. I'm going to keep connecting. And yes, I'll get hurt, but it's still worth it. And then there's my faith. I haven't lost my faith, contrary to some belief. But I, I have tried to hold on to... I, 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 I might have lost it if I tried to hold on to what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's hard to keep your faith if you're not, if you're not committed to developing it and growing it. It's, it's, a, it's a plant. I don't know anything about plants. But I think they need to be nurtured. And sometimes get repotted. I grew up in a fundamentalist style, evangelical family. And I still follow fundamentalist evangelicals on Twitter. So they're still, they're still with me somehow. I need a better feed, I'm just realizing. <laughs> Suffice it to say, that's the, that was the pot of my faith. And if that was, if I kept it for a long time, it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to uh, keep for very long. And my, a lot of my friends, you know, break the pot and lose the contents of it. And, and, and sometimes deconstruction gets the best of it. And we never repot our soil or plant into new ground. We simply think that the new pot is breaking pots. That's what we're going to do, just break things. I'm not sure that's good enough. You can't just deconstruct your faith forever. We need to reconstruct our faith. Not just once. You might need to do it every day. You know, pray, pray, who are you, God? And who am I? That might give you a chance to, to reconstruct your faith. Do it seasonally, yearly, throughout your life. For every major loss we endure, there is a new opportunity for faith. If we tried to say the same Christians we were yesterday, I think our faith would get old. If we try to hold on to our parents' faith, our faith might die. The faith we had is a necessary loss. Hold on to it loosely and move into something new with the Spirit, with what Jesus is doing. You know, the Bible is full of stories about people moving into something new. It can be hard to do that and take your faith seriously because we need a grounding. We need a, we need a soil that's deeper than um, ideas or abstractions. Right? Reducing your faith down to like abstract ideas, ethereal ideas. We need a lived reality. We need a community centered on dialogue of love, not just a, a community set on a dialogue of love, not just a set of uh, immutable doctrines. The former allows the, an opportunity for development, and the latter might leave you without any. So my hope tonight, my prayer to you, is that we're brave enough to let go of what we need to let go of, to die to what we need to die to, it's hard to do that. It's hard to, it's hard to let go of the things that gave you comfort in the past, or at least our image of them. 
it's hard to it's hard to let go of our younger ways and move into a fuller way, to move into what God has for us next. But I hope I think we can. I hope we can, and I think we can. To die in Christ and to rise again with Him. There's cosmic meaning to that. Yes, but don't lose the personal meaning too. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.